Welcome to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we're leading people to experience God's love, know Jesus Christ, and grow in His image. Uh, we're glad you're joining in with us this morning. Be aware on the right-hand side of your screen, there's a live chat, and uh, we have some folks online there that you can talk to. So if you have questions during the sermon or things you want to raise up or prayers you want to lift up, please reach out to those folks and do that. Uh, we're in the midst of a sermon series about surviving in the midst of this uh, pandemic and thriving in the midst of it. Uh, we talked about paying attention uh, to, to where we're at, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing as we move through that. We talked about living in the in-between. Today we're going to talk about accepting our limits as we walk through this time. I'm going to uh, set a little piece of uh, scripture that we've been using, uh, some of Psalm 23 as a setting for this. Uh, and this is a very familiar passage to most of us. Uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We've read these scriptures uh, many times, and, and a lot of times you've probably heard these at uh, funerals or memorial services, and we hear them as words of comfort. But I want you to hear that, that behind that, as they're words of comfort, there's also an acknowledgement in this scripture that we need someone who's going to make us lie down in green pastures. We need someone who's going to lead us beside the still waters and not the raging flood. We need someone who will restore our soul. We need someone who will lead us in right paths. Uh, we need someone who will be there to give us courage and comfort. Uh, when, when David's putting this uh, psalm together, uh, he, he's speaking it as a word of comfort where Jesus is the shepherd and we're the sheep. But David was a shepherd too, remember? And he understood a very interesting thing about sheep, which one of my hill country ranchers uh, shared with me a number of years ago. He said, you know, Tom, goats are born fighting to live and sheep are born trying to die. And uh, so, you know, during lambing season, we just didn't see him because he was out there trying to rescue all those little lambs who otherwise would not have made it. And David understood that. In David's life, with all of his successes and the things that lifted up, there were also moments of abject failure, uh, times when he was scared to death. Uh, he understood his weakness. And so this psalm at the same time as a psalm of comfort, it's also very much an acknowledgement uh, that God is God and I am not. So let's pray. Mighty Father, we thank you that you gather us here this morning and uh, ask you to come and let your spirit rest on us as we're in this time of worship together. Connect us across the, uh, the internet as we're doing this on a uh, long distance from one another and hold us together in the presence of your spirit and allow us to come and acknowledge fully to you that you are God and we are not. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you're our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, last week I, I used this image of this foot bridge, a uh, foot suspension bridge across a ravine. It's a, a rope suspension bridge. And uh, if you can't uh, see clearly in the image, uh, it's strung between two points. And if you've ever actually walked across one of these where the, the rope is strung and the, and the boards are attached to it, you know that when the wind blows, it, it sways back and forth in the wind. And when you walk on it, it undulates kind of in a wave 
fashion underneath your feet. And usually you get partway across and you're just wondering, you know, is this thing actually going to make it? You know, is, or is it going to give way under me? Is the rope going to break? I mean, it, it's an unnerving experience the first time you cross one of these. And, and most of us don't particularly care for them uh, if we have a different way to get there. Uh, we find them scary. And, and usually the tendency for people is to try to get off of that bridge as quickly as possible, which means you either run back to where you came from or you run to where you're going. And that reality is also part of what a lot of us are experiencing in the time we're in now. Uh, we're, we're in this place between the old normal and whatever the new normal is going to be, a uh, place between the old paradigm and the new paradigm where our old mental models and spiritual models maybe are falling apart and our new ones haven't taken place. Uh, that place where sometimes we feel like we've lost our mind because our mental models aren't working right, or we feel like we've lost our faith because our faith understandings that we have held don't seem adequate any longer, but we don't have new ones to replace them with. And, and so the temptation for us in that place of discomfort is, is to want to move back to the old model or to move forward and define a new model. And I want you to hear this morning that, that neither of those, neither of those will work. Now, the first thing most of us do is we try to go back. If we could just go back if we could just go back. And, and you need to know you're in good company because when God led his people Israel out, out of Egypt and, and divided the ocean so they could pass through and gave them all these mighty signs and there's this pillar of fire by night and cloud by day that they're following through, uh, here's what Israel keeps saying throughout that time. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us up out of Egypt? Is not the very thing we told you in Egypt... Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And in the 16th chapter, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And in the 17th chapter, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? You hear a theme running through there? Yeah, we would have been better off if we stayed back there. Even if we died back there, at least we would have had something to eat and drink, right? And, and too often, that's kind of what we want to do. We want to go back. Uh, my first solo church that I served was a congregation that had dwindled down over the years and was struggling with who they were. And one of the things that I kept hearing from them as we talked was, boy, if we could just go back to the way it was in 1920. And I'm thinking, you know, you can't do that. You can't turn the clock back. For the, Egypt, for the Israelites, it was even more important because if they had gone back to Egypt, they would have been slaughtered. And for us in this time to, to try to run back to our past is to run back into the jaws of infection and illness and death. I mean, we can't return back because the old model's broken and the old model's dangerous. We have to, to move forward. It's interesting that the people of Israel struggled so much with that after everything they'd seen. In fact, it was, it was so prevalent upon them when they finally came to the river and crossed into the promised land some of their spies for the first time and they saw the people that lived there they came back and they said oh we can't do this 
there's giants over there, they'll, they'll kill us, we can't do this. They still had the mindset, even though God had led them out, they still had the old mental model of being oppressed slaves. They could not conceive of victory. The only one among them who could get a hold of that was Joshua, who would eventually become the leader, and, and whose rally cry always was, you know, if God is with us, who can be against us? Who can stand against us if God's with us? Over and over and over he repeats that. And so you have the, the moment where uh, in Joshua where it's, we're told this, that uh, the Israelites had to stay out there for 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the warriors who came out of Egypt, perished, not having listened to the voice of the Lord. To them the Lord swore that he would not let them see the land that he had sworn to their ancestors to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. They couldn't move forward because they were locked into looking back. That's the first temptation is, is always to look back and think about going back. Which not only can you not do time-wise, but, but the old model you left behind because it didn't work. Remember, most of us don't step out of our old paradigms and our old models because we have decided to do that. We are pushed out of them by their failure. And so there's no going back. There's only moving forward. The problem with moving forward for too many of us, though, is that we get in a hurry and we decide that, oh, well, we'll figure that out. We know what we're going to do. We'll define what that looks like. I cannot tell you how many times I've had people come and say, what's the new normal? Exactly how are we going to do this, that, or the other? And, and the answer is, I, I, I don't really know. And, and that's really not a very good answer for a lot of people. Uh, they're uncomfortable with that. Because it leaves us in this place of not knowing. In, a, in ancient Greek theater, they used a phrase called hubris. Uh, and, and that became a, a, something that was done in a lot of their uh, tragedies and so forth. But, but they kind of coined that phrase and defined it, which was an exaggerated pride or self-confidence. Uh, an arrogant confidence that, that we had a hold of it. We got this. We can do this. We can make this work. And it's interesting to kind of get a hold of that concept of hubris or pride or arrogance. Uh, Julius Caesar uh, said, it's only hubris if I fail. Now, what happened to Julius Caesar? Y'all remember what happened to Julius? Yeah, yeah let's see. Uh, yeah, he failed, right? I mean, you know, it, hubris. Uh, Christian Renaud has said this, uh, success breeds arrogance and arrogance breeds failure. Wow. Arrogance breeds failure. We become so confident in ourselves and in our abilities that we stop being cautious. We stop listening to others. We think we have it all under control. Uh, Demotivation Posters has a great poster about hubris. This uh, Lamborghini wrapped around this pole here. And, and if you can't read the bottom of it, it says, You're smart. You're successful. You're at the top of your game. But don't let it go to your head. And too often, this is exactly what happens. It goes to our heads, and our lives end up being a wreck because of our arrogance. I think it's interesting that we're in a time where we live in this country with uh, all the technology we have and the, and the power we exercise and the, the wealth that we have, and, and everything is going great, and we're so convinced we're the greatest nation on earth and that we have it all figured out, and we're, all these other countries are rising up. And in the midst of that, a virus, a subcellular organism, brings it all to a screeching halt. 
Now, I'm not saying that God sent the virus to remind us of this, but I am saying that the virus is reminding us that maybe we really don't have it all figured out as well as we think we do. Maybe we're not as powerful as we think we are. Maybe it's reminding us of the limitations of who we are. Leo Tolstoy has a great quote. An arrogant person considers himself perfect. This is the chief harm of arrogance. It interferes with a person's main task in life, becoming a better person. Our, our arrogance blinds us to who God would have us be and how God would shape us and convinces us that we have all the answers instead of God. And inevitably, inevitably, it results in disaster. Inevitably. So, so our friend Job that we have... Uh, been talking with throughout this time, the, the one who is the story of us all, who, who encompasses in the span of a brief period of his time in life all of the kind of losses and griefs and failures that we all experience from loss of people we love to loss of wealth to possessions to health, all of that in a short period of time. Our friend Job has been sitting out on the dung heap outside of his village and his friends have been coming to him and say, oh, confess up, Job, you must have done something to deserve this. And he keeps holding on and saying, no, I haven't done anything to deserve this. You know, I, I, I've not done these things. I've not been unfaithful. And, and even towards the end of the book, as you move through it, he begins to kind of say, you know, God, really, you know, God, you're, you owe me on this one. You're not treating me right. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing sometimes we do when we say, okay, God, why me? Why is this happening like this? What, what, and the interesting way that God answers him is as he moves through this and Job is arguing and arguing and arguing in the 38th chapter, God finally pipes up. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst, forth from, burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther and hear your proud waves be stopped. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place so that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and it's dyed like a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare... If you know all this, where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the path to its home? Surely, you know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. Now, now God's going to go on like this for another couple of chapters. Reminding Job that God is God and Job, you're not. And it's a rather harsh kind of response in some ways. Um, and in other ways, it's one that maybe we need to hear and, and to be reminded as we're walking through this time that 
really, we're not the creators of all that is. That indeed we're part of the creation. That as vast as our power and wealth may be, a subcellular organism can overcome us. To remind us in the midst of this that we very much are limited beings. At, at the end of God's discourse, Job responds, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You've said, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand and things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You said, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is the, the turning point of the book. When Job finally understands that he's not going to understand. And the reality is that, that we as creatures of God sometimes simply are, are not going to understand. That's a hard thing for us to deal with. Because in our arrogance, we think we can understand everything. Let me give you a little example of this arrogance. We've been watching uh, lately as people who do astrophysics have been figuring out, well, let's see, what does the universe look like and how does it work and how does it function? And, and I don't know if you've been reading these kinds of things that have come out, but in the last 10 years, theory after theory has been reshaped and built up and knocked down and reshaped and built up and knocked down. And, and what do you have if you go on the other side of the Big Bang? Or was there even a Big Bang the way we thought of it? What does it look like to conceive of a universe where there is no such thing as space or time? There, there, there's places our understanding can't go. And one of the places our understanding can't go is to define clearly what is going to be in the future. You know, if, if you go back and you start reading some of the uh, materials out of the 1940s and 1950s, it's fascinating. You know, we're supposed to have flying cars, right? I'm, I'm all for that. I want a flying car. I'm just, I just want to be out there. I think that would be a marvelous thing. But, but the, we, don't, we really don't have them yet. And, and they keep talking about we might be on the edge of it, but they're, they're not here yet. We were supposed to have them over 20 years ago. But we just, we just get ahead of ourselves and we begin to think we know it all. In the early part of the 20th century, there was a movement called the Social Gospel. It was a movement in, in the western part of Christianity that said that basically, you know, if, if we're faithful and we're good followers of Jesus Christ, that, that God can lead us and we give our lives to Him, we can create a world, a, a society that mirrors the kingdom of God on earth. We, we can do this. And then World War I came. And then World War II came. And, and we walked into the cities in the aftermath of the atomic bombs. And we walked into the camps of Nazi Germany, the concentration camps. And we saw the horror of what we had done to each other. And we began to understand that we're, we're not as faithful as we thought we were. And that we're capable of doing horrendous things. God is God. We are not. That's why in the scripture you have these passages that are called wisdom teachings. Well, Proverbs is, is just chock full of this. And in the third chapter, uh, we're reminded 
of where true wisdom lies. My, my child, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and abundant welfare they will give you. Do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and of people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. I love this. If you, if you acknowledge Him, God will make straight your path. You're not going to do it. God will do it. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think so much about what you understand, but, but, but fear God and trust God's wisdom. Even back then, they understood the limits of who we are and the need for us to lean into God. Psalm 25 is another one which is a great psalm of trust in God's wisdom and in God's leading that comes to us. Uh, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it's great. Who are they that fear the Lord? He will teach them the way that they should choose. They will abide in prosperity and their children shall possess the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my life and deliver me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all its troubles. You know, as David puts this together and you hear this, this psalm, you hear this constant refrain that, that both praises God for God's forgiveness and grace and God's leading and at the same time acknowledges our need for it. And you hear the humility within this psalm of saying, I, I can't understand enough. I can't be good enough. I can't be strong enough that I have to lean on you, that only you can forgive, that it's about your goodness, God, which is unsearchable. It's about your wisdom. It's about your leading. God is God, and I am not. And we walk through this time of the, the COVID-19, and we're in this place where we're not into the new yet, but we know that we can't go back to the old, and so we keep trying to define the new normal. Don't you love all the predictions we keep hearing about what that's going to look like? Every two weeks it all changes on us. 
as we go to our government and even say, okay, you define what this is going to look like for us, which is asking them to do a task they can't do either. And the reality is we are simply living into a new normal that will evolve and define in front of us that only God can grasp at this point. So as we walk across this this bridge, this uncomfortable place, I want to invite you to, to just hold back. Recognize the limitations we live within. Understand that we can't understand it all. That we're not going to define everything that's going to happen. That we're going to have to live into what is becoming. And that out there on that suspension bridge that's waving under our feet and blowing in the breeze and that we're so uncomfortable what we really need to do is reach up and take God's hand and hold on to it and just keep saying you're God and I'm not so make me lie down in the right places lead me beside the right waters protect my life and when I am in this place of darkness and fear Remind me that you are with me, and I don't have to be afraid. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess to you that we don't like this place we're in, that we wish it could be like it used to be, but we know that won't happen. And we wish we could define what it's going to be so that we could look forward to it with confidence and with certainty. And yet, underneath that confidence is the fear that we know we really don't know what that will be. So, so here we are in this place, Father. And we are uncomfortable and we are fearful and we are anxious. We are wondering... As things begin to open up this week and people began to go back to work and to go out and do things, our anxiety and fear only became greater. So hear us this morning as we reach up and we take your hand and we say, yes, we, we understand. We admit you are God and I am not. So be with me as I'm walking through this dark valley. For in your presence, I do not have to fear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.